Lord, uh, thank you, uh, God. Thank you for this word that you gave to us, Lord, that we can read and study and, and learn from, God. Um, it's living and breathing. It speaks into our life. There's power in it, God. Lord, I just, I just thank you for all the, the things we can take away. God, I thank you for uh, no matter what season of life we're in, God, or how many times we've read something, Lord, how you just continue... Um, to provide direction and guidance from it and things to learn, and it just gets deeper, God. Lord, we know you more, and we just build that relationship with you, God, all to bring glory to you. Lord, and I pray that's what we do. God, I pray that we're bringing glory to your name just as Jesus did. God, just as you, you share story after story after story in Scripture with us, uh, that is why we are here, Lord. And that's, that's when we're going to be fulfilling our purpose. That's when we're going to experience all the, the fruits of the Spirit as you've designed them. God, so help us to do that in our walk, God, as we, as we fight against the flesh. God, I pray that we surrender to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, a, a, I don't know if you've dug into Ezekiel or not. Um, I don't know if you're reading along with us, but it's a pretty intense book. Um, and uh, in fact, I, I, I learned, I, you know, I don't want to, proclaim this as truth, but I, I saw several different sources that shared this, but it's Jewish tradition that, that they, they don't even allow, they're not even allowed to read Ezekiel till they're 30 years old, um, just because it's, uh, it's pretty intense. And, and it's interesting, it was, it was uh, when Ezekiel was 30 that he was given this vision from God, and, and uh, so happy birthday, you know, uh, and this is, this is what God gave him for a gift. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, lot, there's, you know, People take things and obviously they can misconstrue them and do things with them and, and all this stuff. But uh, Ezekiel 1 is where we're going to be today. And, and some people out there in the world use this as proof that there's aliens, just so you know. <laughs> um, uh, just because of the description and everything, they're like, see, even the Bible says, you know, there's aliens out there. Uh, of course, they're uh, misinterpreting it and using it for their own agenda and things. But it is, it is a pretty uh, crazy text, interesting uh, text here, but uh, but some people actually do believe that, and you know, and I, I think Ezekiel may have been a, a a youth minister. I mean, he had some pretty crazy ways of teaching lessons and and doing things. He did little skits and stuff and uh, demonstrations, object lessons, and and one time he even made bread with poop, which is really gross. And uh, but he did that, and it's in there, and like just that sounds like something a youth minister would do. Um, I I. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, again, just, uh, just an interesting, because a lot of the prophets we see, you know, just word of mouth that he actually used these little object lessons and things. And, uh, it's kind of just a neat little, neat little note about him. And, and, of course, he was a priest living in Jerusalem during the first attack, and he, he went into exile uh, with them. And it was about five years into exile that, that this that this vision came to that the book was written, and, and, uh, and, and 
the, one of the interesting things to me is what is the glory of God? He gets this vision, and what is the glory of God doing in Babylon? You know, it's, it's really a break from what we've seen the entire time, because every time we talk about His presence and His glory, what is it? It's in the temple. That's right. And so something real interesting happens right here. And so God, you know, appoints Ezekiel to go accuse and warn Israel, uh, very similar to a lot of the other prophets. And, and uh, but, you know, same message, different day, right? They didn't listen. Hearts are hardened, you know. And, uh, and so he gets this other vision about the temple, and it's not a good thing. The temple's there, and the elders are worshiping idols, and they're leading others to worship the idols. And God's glory leaves the temple, you know, in this vision. And so, um, and God, but the neat thing is God hasn't abandoned his people. Instead, he's going into exile with them, um, which is what's awesome about it. And he talks about removing their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. And then the judgment that Israel comes. And that, that kind of covers the first 22 chapters there. Of we'll get into the, the second half of the book next week. But there's kind of this idea, uh, and I think it's kind of summed up maybe uh, in Ezekiel 36, 22. And it says, Therefore, say the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. It is not for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. And I, want, I just want us to, to pause there for a minute, because that's really it, you know? Um, and we've talked about this pretty repeatedly over this year. Uh, it's so easy to get caught up. God is all about me. And this is about me, you know, and, and it really, I think it's really pretty challenging, honestly, to, to take yourself out of the equation. In fact, I think it's an act of God. I don't even think that's something you can willfully do. I really think it takes God in you to be able to surrender and die to yourself and really get out of the way. In fact, I don't think I know. That's what the scriptures tell us. We have to come to the end of ourselves, and we need help with that <laughs> and a Savior. Jesus. But we love to make it about us. We love to make it about us. But God is holy and radically set apart, and we're this holy people trying to make sense of a holy God. And it's really difficult sometimes to process through what, what is going on, because we are just sinners, and we're unholy. And it's one of those things, you know, I, I uh, and I know I've this example before about, you know, going on a mission trip and then coming back and trying to tell everybody what you experienced. It's impossible. I mean, you can use some words and you can get the point across a little bit, but I mean, you can't possibly convey that. Uh, we were in the car riding around this week and Elias starts asking questions like gravity questions and earth spinning. And, and I'm just like trying to explain to my six-year-old <laughs> these God-sized principles and I just look back there, and he's just kind of like, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know how to explain this. I'm not very good at this. Um, but, but that's kind of what's happening here in Ezekiel. God gives him this vision, and he's doing his best. And I know God's helping him to convey what he's seen, you know. But it's intense, man. It is an intense scene going on right here. So we're just going to read it. Uh, we're going to read Ezekiel 1, uh, verses 4 through 28, and then we're going to kind of talk it, talk it through. Um, it says, I, as I looked, behold, 
a stormy wind came out of the north. And, it, and, and, and a lot of times when we read about the north, it's, it's representative of bringing judgment um, when it's mentioned in, in prophecies and things. And a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as, it were, as if it were, as it were gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces. Each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each, wing, each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire was lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, we think we got nice rims and tires and wheels today. This is very nice. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as if it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their, of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. And the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. that. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went... These went, and when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads, and under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body, and when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their head, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. 
and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was a brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud uh, on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. and uh, You know, these creatures uh, they're describing are the cherubim, and they're mentioned throughout Scripture quite often, actually, uh, in different cases. And they're always guarding the holiness of God. They're always there. They are there in the garden. Isaiah mentions them, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and they're always there, you know, they're the, the, they're the holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Um, they're in heaven, you know, and so uh, they're there protecting the holiness of God. And so Ezekiel, could you imagine for just a second, really? I mean, <laughs> seeing all of this before you. Sitting in a dream. He's seeing it. And what's his response? Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. Mm. But God wasn't in the temple. His chair was on the move. This isn't one of those crawl up in your daddy's lap warm fuzzy moments, is it? <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> no. This is terrifying. I mean, really, just as a human being for a second. If this showed up today, right here, right now, oh my goodness. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, it is terrifying. The scene that's unfolding before him. I mean, the power and all the stuff and just unexplainable things that he has seen right there in front of him. It is terrifying. And I hope, I hope, and it should bring us to a place of humility. It should humble us. I don't know about you, but I want God for me and not against me. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, this is what we're going to stand before one day. And what are you going to say to him, your Sunday school attendance record? I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. God wants us to bring glory to his name. God wants us to bring glory to his name. And I promise you it's more than what you say. Because we are his, we've talked about this, we are his image bearers. You and I, as we go about day to day, we are his image bearers. What are you bringing glory to? What are you bringing glory to? And I know we got Jesus, but we're going to stand before that one day. We're going to be in the presence And what are we going to say to him? God is showing up in Babylon to speak to his people. And the glory of God is demonstrated in the beauty of his holiness. We're that image and, 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 and we need to glorify and magnify him. And that's, that's when, you know, when we're, when we're in that lane... Like that's when we begin to experience real joy and pure joy is, is we're doing what we're created for. We're doing the very thing that we were created for. And a lot of times we end up, you know, we want to be the, the sun or the center of attention or, or something. And, and I heard somebody use this illustration and we're really called to be the moon, right? 
the moon has no natural light of its own. It's reflecting it back. And that's what we're called to be. And too many of us want to be the sun. You know, we want to be the center. We want it to be about us. Psalms 96, verse 3 says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the people. we got to declare His glory. Because He's going to get His glory one way or the other. And I hope, I hope that we want to be a part of that. I hope that we want to be a part of that. The most loving, this is, this is interesting. I want to track through this thought. But the most loving thing that God can do is to require His glory to be the most prominent thing in our lives. I'm going to say that again. The most loving thing God can do is require His glory to be the most prominent thing in our lives. This is going to sound like a selfish moment here for a second. John Piper says, He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Because here's the thing. If God's all these things that He says He is, right, and I believe that He is, nothing else is worth it. Nothing. You can't worship anything else because it would be unloving to, for him to allow that. If he allowed you to worship anything other than himself, it would be unloving. Because he is everything that you need. He is the best thing for you. And he knows that. And so his desire for you to glorify him and to proclaim his name is out of love for you. Because that's when you're going to be at your best and serving your purpose, and fulfilled, and all the things that we chase after in this world to fill this God-shaped hole, and it is only fillable by Him. That's it. Nothing else will do. It might seem like it does for a minute, but it won't last. It has to be Him. He is everything, and commanding us to worship Him, that's love, because He knows that's best. And we usually want, want to be God-centered because somehow we've mis misconstrued it and we believe that God is centered on us and that's, that's the problem. And we end up exchanging His glory for a whole lot of idols in this world. And sometimes we excuse ourselves because we didn't make a bronze image in our yard that we're bowing down to. But we still got the idols. They're just hidden in our closets. And we're going around and we keep wearing the, the mask and we keep pretending a lot of us and man, what are we doing as His image bearers? Are we bringing glory to His name? Romans 1, 21-25 says, For although they knew God... See, I don't want you to miss this. They knew, they knew God in this passage, okay? This isn't some atheist person out there who's running around and... All, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, the polite God that we have, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is idolatry. This is why in Exodus, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Because He knows what's best for you and I. He knows. And it's Him. And that's it. That's the end of it. It's Him. 
It's Him. He is the reward. It's not some blessing that He gives to you. He is the blessing. Being able to glorify Him and, and proclaim His name. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Yes, that is true. We have fallen short of the glory. And if God allowed sin to go unpunished, it would belittle His glory. And if He didn't, uh, if he didn't punish it, it would seem like he's, he's allowing or condoning a low assessment of His holiness. And we talk about that a lot, man. God is sinless. Like he can't, he can't have anything to do with sin. But in Christ, woo, amen, in Christ, we have seen the glory of God. Uh, John 1, 14 and 15 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, and glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John bore witness about it and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. All the glory we're reading about in Ezekiel 1 walked among us in Jesus. Jesus was the glory of God. Mm. John three seventeen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, not to condemn, but to save us. So here's this holy God, and, and instead of, because of our sinful nature, uh, just avenging uh, his glory by killing us all, right? He avenges his glory by killing his own son for us. That doesn't even make sense. We get God, he takes our worst, we spit in his face, and he still comes to get us. In the form of Jesus. The very God you actually need saved from, this terrifying, awesome image that we see in Ezekiel, saves you. The very God you need saved from saves you. He saves you. He loves us because He is love. And hell, hell's real. And it's the wrath of God on full display against sin. That's what it is. It's the wrath of God on full display against sin. Because it has to be. And at the cross, at this incredible uh, moment, man, that's so difficult. Because in the moment of the cross, we, we see the fullness and the holiness of God. Um, so we got this full picture of the holiness of God. Uh, and then this full picture of the loving God on display, both. Because the holiness of God demands judgment for sin, and it's there, man. It's there in the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus pays the price. He takes on the wrath of God for us. And in the same moment, the love of God is on display at the cross in the form of Jesus, who took all that for you and I and paid it. Hmm. Everything in history builds up to the point, to that point right there. And then everything comes out of that point to the end. We, I, I at least say this often. I'm very thankful to be living on this side of the cross. I don't know about you, but very, very thankful. It's like this, uh, this courtroom case, right? You go in and you've, you've committed the ultimate crime, whatever that is in your head, and you're done, man. They're you to death, 
right? And you go into the courtroom and everybody's against you and they're just hammering you and you can't say anything because you're guilty, man. You're guilty. And it's over. <laughs> you're going to have some time in prison while you wait for the injection, but it's done. It's over. And in the middle of the court case, right before they're about to do the final verdict, someone, this family who you committed this crime against stands up and just adopts you into their family to love you. What? That makes no sense whatsoever. No sense. But that's exactly what happened. We don't deserve. But he did anyway. He did anyway. So we got these... these uh, I just wanted to talk about this for a minute and got these kind of biblical concepts of justification and sanctification and glorification, these big, big Christian-y words, and I want to talk about them just for a second. Because there's, there's this, I don't know, I, I don't want to get into debate and cause, cause stuff and arguments, but I'm telling you, I just I had this thought through this, like, I, I know the human condition and I recognize it because I, obviously I'm one. And, and we just have this, like, just enough mentality. And, and so many of the debates and the quarrels and the things I hear is, I just, what, what do I just need to do to be saved? And we just get this mentality of, what does it take just to get in the door? Like, I just want to squeak in. And that's not the image in Scripture we see at all. We see this full-on surrender thing that God's calling us to. But in our flesh, we want to just, what's just enough? It's just enough to get me in the door so I don't have to go to hell and I get to go to heaven, you know? And we, and we play this game of just enoughs. Justification is having the saving knowledge of the gospel. It's, it's making us right, um, made right. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ. This is the part that hurts, right? This is the chiseling from God, the transforming as he begins to, to help you be reshaped. Uh, into the likeness of Christ. And glorification is being glorified with Christ. You, you die, and then you see His face, and you don't die. <laughs> awesome. We don't have to pay the price uh, because we're glorified in Him. And the first one frees us from the penalty of sin. Uh, justification is freeing us from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freeing us from the power of sin. And glorification is freeing us from the presence of sin. Mm, what a day that'll be. And most people think justification plus sanctification is what equals glorification. And so it becomes a work. And I want you to hear this. You don't do any of this. We talk about God's part a lot. This is His. This is the heavy lifting. And He does it all. You're in, you can't do any of this. Like This is His part. This is what He has done for us. He has made it possible for you and I, the sinful creatures that we are, to come to Him the, in, into the, His presence, into the holiness of God. Uh, man. His part. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2, 11-13, this the same trustworthy for you. If we died with Him, we also live with Him. If we endure, we also reign with Him. 
If we deny him, if we deny him, he will deny you. He will. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this isn't a verbal thing. It was never just that. It's what your life is speaking. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, this is one of my favorite parts of Scripture, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Mm. The just enough culture that we live in, man. Don't be just enough. Brothers and sisters, you were meant to sell out, to pick your cross and die to, to all these dreams and ambitions and what you think and, and surrender to God. You know, J.D. was talking about that, that this morning. If you catch that in Ezekiel, the, the cherubim are following the Spirit of God and they do not turn from it. And that's what you and I do. Now I know we turn, right? We got the battling against us. And we all up, right? We read that. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And praise God, that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus. Mm. If you live for him, you will live with him forever. But if we deny, he will deny. But he cannot deny himself. And he's not going to change that because you got a good story or a good excuse. You know, I've heard him. The hands we get dealt in life, life is just life. And we all got the same opportunity. We all get the same opportunity to surrender to a loving God who has made a way. And if we don't, even the rocks will worship in our place. The rocks. I don't know if you've ever, I've never seen a rock do that, but it will. The rocks will cry out in your place if you're not going to do it. Because he's worthy. He is worthy of our worship, and He is worthy of our surrender. And, and, I, and again, I know, and I was just thinking through all this, like, whew, if you're not listening to this in the Spirit right now, I don't know that you can hear this or understand it. This is big stuff right here. Because if you're listening to this in the flesh, what, what, what I think I would hear in the flesh is, man, God's pretty selfish. God-centered stuff. What? Why is it all about God? That's what he keeps coming back to you. I want my glory and I want, and it would be so easy to, to look at it that way in the flesh. But if we're walking in the spirit, man, we understand that a loving God knows that we are what's best for him. We, he knows what's best for us and it is God and he is worth it. And the only way you're going to ever find that out is to actually do it. That's it. You can stay on the sidelines your whole life and when you stand before that image that we read in Ezekiel, I don't know what's going to happen to you. I would love to give you all the security in your salvation that I can, but I don't know because there's some pretty strong stuff in here about mediocrity. Really strong stuff in here about mediocrity. We are called to live and walk with the Lord. And if we've surrendered to Jesus, this is one of the biggest struggles I've always had with Christians. If we've surrendered and we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, how can we not be different, church? Why doesn't our life look any different than the people out there who have no clue who God is? Someone, please explain that to me. 
Because everything I read in Scripture where the Spirit's involved, stuff happens. Awesome stuff happens. We are transformed. That's what the Scriptures say. You are being transformed from one glory to another in Christ by the Spirit of the Lord. If 20 years has gone by and we still look the same, I got some questions for you. I love you. I'm not trying to judge you. But are we actually surrendered? And everybody's on a journey. I know that, man. We all got a pace that we're going at this. But if I'm not moving, if there's nothing going on, there's, there's no fruit. You know what the answer is? The same one that happened in Acts 2. Repent. God is quick to forgive. That's what it says. Quick to forgive. Stop being stubborn and prideful and all the things that we all struggle with. Repent, church. Because whether you like it or not, you are His image bearers. In the way you live, too, not just the way you talk. You are to bring glory to the name of God. And it's just a real simple question this morning. Is that what you're doing with your life? Are you reflecting the glory of God back into the darkness of the world? Are you proclaiming His name in the way that we live? We talked about this back when we talked about the Ten Commandments, but it says do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And, and we're so easy to dismiss that with, well, I don't say GD and I don't swear by... Oh, it's bigger than that. Are you taking his name in vain in how you live? Because we're going to be something different. And I would love it if we all got to see this terrifying image, but we get to read about it, and we get to try to like imagine it. But that is the presence of God, the glory of God, coming into Babylon to be with his people. Because he is going to rescue him, just like he rescued us. In Jesus, repent, repent. If, if nothing else, because you've been walking casually into his presence, repent. Now I know by the Spirit we get to cry, Abba, Father, I know that verse. But don't ever forget who we're dealing with here. This is the Creator. This is our Father. Who's both loving, but whew, whew, intense, man. <laughs> intense. And He is good. And we can trust in that. And He will forgive. That's what's so awesome. He's just right there, just waiting for a surrendered heart. That's what the Bible describes it as. He's waiting for you. And you may be sitting there like, well, I've already made a decision to follow Jesus. Great! Thank you! Woo! Praise God for that! And for some reason, you fell into the trap that so many have, and you're just sitting on the sidelines, and you're not bringing glory to God's name. Then repent! It's not a one-time deal. I want to see this church blow up. Not literally, like revival blow up, you know? I want to... See, I'm going to get choked up. <coughs> I want this community right here to look radically different because of what God's doing right here. And if we don't, He'll find someone who will. He'll find someone who will. Whose side are you on? Yours or His. We need to repent. We need to repent. God, thank You for this incredible image that You gave to Your servant, Ezekiel. Whew. 
God, just to read that, it, like, whoa. there's this awe to it, God, but it, it also, I mean, to, to really see all of that unfold in front of, in front of our eyes, God, it would be terrifying. Lord, because you're, you're beyond, <laughs> you're beyond our capability of understanding some things, I know that. But I'm thankful for the glimpses that you give us. I'm thankful for the characteristics that we see from you. God, as, as a sinner, I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus in all your glory to walk among us, to live this thing right, to take our debt on, and to finish it. Thank you for the cross. As difficult as it is to process through the cross and what happened to Jesus, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. That there's redemption for us in the cross. Thank you that you made a way. God, please help us to wake up from our slumber if we're in it. God, and as much as I even want to say, so that we can save people out of the pit of hell, of course that's what we want, God, but that's not even the full purpose. It is to bring glory to your name. God, help us to learn that in, in the Spirit, God, what it means to walk in a way to bring glory to your name, to be your image bearer, to proclaim your name to the nations. What does that look like for me? Help me to be surrendered. Help me to listen to you and obey. God, thanks for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross. And we just ask all this in his holy name. Amen.